right, welcome to episode three of the Casual Tryhard MTG podcast. Uh, I'm James. And I'm Brian. And today uh, we're going to talk about how to get started in a new standard. Um, involves a couple different factors. Um, we're going to look at some data. We're going to talk about what a metagame is. We're going to talk about how to find some data and uh, how to get you started off this standard right. So, as always, if you want to uh, get a hold of us, uh, we're Casual Tripod on Twitter. Um, I, I try to check it pretty frequently. Uh, we are also Casual Tryhard MTG on Facebook. If you want to send us a message and give us some feedback, what you like about the cast, what we need to work on, and uh, ideas for what you want to hear about. And then we also, again, if you're if you're old like us and you want to email someone, yeah, that's great too. <laughs> CasualTryHardMTG uh, at gmail.com. So we've got we've got all of our bases covered. Yep. So we're gonna talk about like a term everyone uses, but I don't know how well people know the term. Right. It's kind of important to get everybody on the same page when we're uh, talking about something like this. Um, so I think right off the rip, we want to talk about what a metagame is. Yeah, so I I went and did some Wikipedia research, because that's where all information comes from. And I'm not going to read the Wikipedia definition. You, you can find it yourselves. I have faith in you. Uh, maybe I'll stick the link in the in the show notes if I'm feeling really ambitious. But basically, it, the metagame is the, the game that you have to play based on the game everyone else is playing. Right, it's the bigger game. Yeah. Like, me and you sit down across the table from each other. We are playing a game. We show up to a tournament. We're playing the metagame, right? To some degree. So it's it lets you... The metagame influences what cards you pick. So if everyone's playing cards that have four... Creatures that have four toughness... Yeah, Lightning Bolt's not great. Lightning Bolt's not great. So in standard, you'd have to play Lava Coil to be yep. able to... Kill it. So it's... So there are some really powerful cards that don't line up well with the cards other people the other people are playing. Right. So you have to change what you are doing to be competitive against the cards that are being played. And that's the metagame. The yep. the changing your approach to match to optimize or match the other people's approaches. Right. So so when you talk so when you talk about the meta, the meta changes based on who's playing. Yeah, so the meta is going to be different whether you're playing at your local FNM or if you go to, you know, like a little bit larger weekend event like a PPTQ or if you're playing on Star City Circuit or if you're playing in a GP, they all have slightly different meta games. Um so why why do why do they change? Um there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. I think um, at very large events, um, like a real thing is cognitive load. Um, like people don't necessarily want to sit around and play 15 rounds of Lantern Control or Miracles and Legacy. It's not something people want to do for, you know, 20 hours out of their weekend. Um, so it can kind of skew data a little bit. It can. I think FNM is oftentimes shaped by card availability. That also. Right? If you uh, want to play the new Saltai deck from that you saw on coverage, uh, but you didn't get on in on Hydroid Crisis when they were $15, yeah. which isn't cheap, now they're 35 And impossible to find. Yes. So... Like, so there's a card availability issue where sometimes you just can't get the cards to play that deck. SCG is driven a lot by their website, right? Right, yeah. So the they'll have a versus video where someone will, where Todd Anderson plays some Teamer Wilderness Reclamation yeah. deck that he immediately bombs out of the, <laughs> the open with. But... A lot of people were like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really neat. And might pick it up and play it because it's a deck they saw that looked cool. Yep. So a lot of times the coverage, their their articles and their um uh and their videos 
stick uh, a lot of people will gravitate to those decks. Yeah. So it's also uh, important to note that like Star City kind of has their <clears throat> excuse me, their own um like selection of pros, right? That's different from Wizards. Yes. So when you go to an SCG event, we're talking uh like Todd Anderson and um Ross Marion. Yeah, the, that whole crew there, uh, which is different than when you're going to like a Wizards of the Coast event and you're looking at like LSV or Reed Duke. Yes. Um, they're very different kinds of players. Um, they kind of bring their own styles to the table. And that translates to their their articles. Right. And then that translates to the decks people play. Right. Um, so... Like, typically, the more competitive an event, the more people have kind of gone out of their way to figure out what the best deck is for that week. Right. Right? And that that drives me nuts, because I, <laughs> like, I want to, like, find a deck and, like, get proficient with it. Right. Practice with it. Learn all the lines. Get good with it. And, again, as a casual tryhard, I can't do that in a week. Well, I mean, it also comes down to what we were just talking about with card availability, right? Because yeah. if you're bouncing around in between decks every week, like, that's a big commitment for your pocketbook. Yes. <laughs> I am turning and slowly rubbing a stack of uh, of long boxes that are full of cards from all sets. Yeah. Uh, it is a big commitment. And a lot of us, like the the pros, uh, there there is a, a recent, like, Twitter feud or, or back and forth don't actually own cards. Yeah. Right. They just like, there's, you know, some super secret Facebook group or like Twitter, uh, group somewhere that someone goes like, Hey, I want to play fill in the blank. I want to play, uh, this salt deck. I need yeah. hydrate crisis and yeah. people will just loan out their cards. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of kind of nice when you have that kind of fame too. You can just be like, "Hey, peons, yes. I'm looking for some cards. Hook me up." And you know, you know, are, I'm good for it. Yeah, chances are some peon is going to come up with the cards. Like, for oh you. my gosh, it's so cool. Reed Duke played my like deck, yeah. or like Ross Marion played my deck. Right. Played played the cards I had, yeah. and yeah, one day this podcast <laughs> will lead to that kind of where I'll just be able to go into the shop and be like. Chop, chop, I need a deck. <laughs> I need a tier one deck. Oh, I guess that is, I just said a term that we probably oh, yeah. should have defined. We so, should definitely talk about so that. So there's, there are, so when we talk about the metagame, yep. we break the metagame up into tiers. Mm -hmm. So there's the the mythical tier zero. Yeah, now tier zero would be, I don't know how long all of you guys have been playing for or not, but tier zero is Eldrazi winner, right? Yes, where you were, where you, it was wrong for you to play any other deck yeah. but a given deck in a format. So based right. on all the cards everyone was playing, yeah. there was only one deck that realistically had a shot to win a tournament. Right. And it warps every other deck yeah. around itself. Yeah. So there were like, because Eldrazi was everywhere, people had to change their sideboards yeah. in Modern, which meant I could play Burn, and I beat everyone, unless they played an Eldrazi, and then I lost. Yeah. So it was like, well, I'm going to roll the dice and hope to get to top eight, and hope my opponent gets mana screwed, or somehow wasn't playing Eldrazi. <laughs> and I won a tournament because my opponent got mana screwed, yeah. And I got to win, but the whole format was wrapped around that. So a tier yeah. zero deck is just the deck you have to play. Yeah. Now, it's important to note that this doesn't happen very often. It's usually a mis Wizards has made some sort of awful mistake yeah. and has broken everything. And they will usually come in and try their best to unbreak it. Yeah. Uh, so, like, they banned a card out of that deck. The deck is reason like the decks has kind of gone away it was still played in like some form and it mm -hmm. like powered down form 
for a while, but then the format just started, people started doing other stuff and pushed that deck out. Yeah, I mean, that deck kind of came back around, too, with Colorless Eldrazi, or uh, Eldrazi Tron. Yeah, Eldrazi. It so kind of brought it back a little bit. We had, like, the Bant Times, yeah. and then we had Eldrazi Tron. So, so like, Tier 0 is you have to play the deck. Right. Or you... Or you can only play a deck that, that beats that deck. That hard targets that deck. And so then there's tier one. And tier one is usually bigger. Yeah, tier one a lot of times is uh um like what the most popular decks for a given format are. Um kinda hard to figure that out for standard right now, but some examples of this for modern would be humans, uh spirits, um burns probably tier one. Burn burn. Like, Modern has about 10 decks that all kind of fall into, like, kind of 10 to 15 decks that are Tier 1 that realistically, if it won a tournament, you wouldn't go, wow, that's crazy. Right. I've never played against that or I've never heard of of it. Right. Right. When you show up to a large-ish event or even, like, an FNM-size event, um, there are decks that you should reasonably expect to see there in some... So last standard it was like it was Golgari. Yep. It was is it Drake's? Yep. And was there a third deck in like I guess uh, just got control. Well, mono white. And mono white. Yeah. So there were four decks that were reasonably tier one. Yeah. There's some people that are arguing about they're yelling at their phones about their tier two deck. Right. So tier two Well, there's also like tier one and a half. Tier right? one and a half. Kind of like splits the difference. Yeah. So tier two, if we go to tier two, yeah. like tier two is like the decks that are reasonable, yeah. but are have clear faults right. that just don't stack up with those better decks that are tier one. Right. So examples of tier two decks, again going back to modern because the meta is a little bit more stable, and you'll probably understand what we're talking about. Um, like Merfolk would be a tier two deck. Soul Sisters. Soul Sisters is a tier two deck. Blue Moon. Absolutely. Decks that you've heard of, decks that can, if things line up right, can win a tournament or can go deep, but they just, there are some things that they just are like, I I can't beat this. Mm -hmm. Or they're just not as powerful. They're just not as powerful. Yeah. Some of the other decks in the form. They, a lot of times, they'll have like, you know, some very good matchups, Mm -hmm. but. There's there's a lot of decks that they play that they're not particularly favored against. Like there's, yeah. like their their power levels flatter. Right. They don't have as many like positive matchups. Right. So you mentioned Soul Sisters. Yeah. If you're expecting Burn to be overrepresented in one particular weekend, Soul Sisters is probably a pretty decent choice for the tournament. But know that all of these other archetypes in the first tier are probably not going to make your day great. Yeah. So, if you think there's going to be a lot of Soul Sisters, play Infect. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so when people talk about a Tier 1 deck or a Tier 2 deck, yeah. that's what they mean. So the Tier 1 decks are the, the best decks in that particular format, mm-hmm. and then Tier 2 are a notch below. They're playable. Yep. A lot of times they're like the the more fun kind of goofy decks. Yeah, well, they're decks that are really popular with a slightly more casual crowd. Yeah. I, I have I have played uh, Aetherflux Reservoir <laughs> at a GP. Uh, uh, these things I mean, happen. it happens to the best of us. <laughs> the deck was great. Uh, but, like, but those decks oftentimes do reward you for sticking with them yes because they are a lot of times fidgety yeah they they aren't as like just rawly powerful right so like you have to kind of put together the machine yeah and like playing a bunch you get to learn like okay when i play against this tier one deck these are the three cards that matter or this is this is what i have to do this this is what your game plan is going to be this is what their game plan is going to be and you have to know how to move between them yes and you got to kind of figure out how to get there where sometimes you just like play your super powerful tier one deck and you're like, well, this kills everything in my my hand has kill a thing, kill a thing, kill the opponent. Right. So I'm gonna kill their things, I'm gonna play something they can't kill, and I'm going to win. Yep. And if you're so that that's cool too. Um decks can also move in between tiers exactly. pretty yeah. frequently, right? Um 
again, we're going to go back to modern for a second because the meta is a little bit more established there. But like Death Shadow was solidly tier one best deck in the format for a while. People talked about having to ban cards, ban the card Death Shadow because right. it was too good. Um, now that's tier two. Yeah, it it has some good matchups. It does yep. some things that are that are good. Yep. But what the format's doing now is not it's not just overpowering and and at all oppressive. Right. Uh. So, so, so that's what we mean about by metagame and in tiers mm -hmm. is just how decks stack up against each other kind of sets the metagame. And depending on what's being played in the, by other players, that dictates the cards you get to pick and get to play. Yeah. So, so how, how do you determine the meta? We've talked about the modern metagame a lot mm -hmm. just because it doesn't change a whole lot. Right. Uh, but in general, how do you figure out what the metagame is, what, what we should be playing? Well, we have a whole bunch of different tools at our disposal. Um, some of them are better than others. Um, unfortunately, we're kind of at the whim of whatever data is out there. Um, there's a couple different places where you can get your data from. Um, Wizards, twice a week, I believe, uh, publishes their hand-picked 5-0 deck lists for each format. And those, and those are on, on Magic Online, not Arena. Right, They're yeah, the Magic, yeah, Magic Online decks. Um, is it once a month they do their Magic Online PTQ? Is that once a month? I think so. Um, they or also, like the, the mocks, right? Yeah. The, well, the mocks is different than the PTQ. Though. Yeah, there's the PTQ and the mocks. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Um, they publish those deck lists also. Um, you can pull data from MTG Goldfish. Um, they, it's kind of a one-stop shop. Um, they repost the Wizards Magic Online deck lists, as well as repost the Star City events mm -hmm. deck lists. Um, and I believe they do for the classics and the opens, right? I think so. Um, you can also get deck lists from Twitter. Um, there's a whole slew of different places to get deck lists from. Uh, one of them being our good friend Christos's uh, arena deck aggregate retweet machine. Sadly, he tweeted that he retired. Oh, what was that? It was like uh, early last, uh, late last week. Mm, uh, I missed that. So the power of uh, Jerry Thompson and his at like arena deck list. Put him under, huh? Put him under. He was. Uh, uh, Mr. Thompson went out of their way to uh, uh, block uh, Christos's uh, account from seeing anything they were doing. So mm. Christos was there twelve hours before them, but yeah. then got smushed. Uh, the man sticking it to the little guy. Yeah, but just in general, like if you follow, if you have magic personalities, you follow. Yeah, any on, of the pros. People will read, will tweet out their decks, and they'll get picked up by pros that'll retweet them. So. Even if you're not a fo following uh, big deck list, uh, right. <laughs> uh, I think it's like arena deck list or yeah. something, uh, you will see decks pop up where people like like you will have a deck and they'll make it to Diamond. Yeah. And they'll post like, hey, I've won 60% of my matches going from uh, silver to diamond with mm -hmm. this deck mm -hmm. and put a deck up. So a lot of people at also at High Mythic mm -hmm. will like do like the double shot. They'll do the screenshot of when you finish a match when you're in Mythic. It will put like your percentage or just your like your rank in the top twenty or fifty or something mm -hmm. or hundred, and then they'll put the deck they're playing. Right. So you can find decks that at the at the top of of the Magic Arena ladder mm -hmm. that way. Um, you can also pull deck lists straight from Twitch. Um, with the advent of this new uh, Magic Pro League, um, all of these sponsored streamers, I believe all of them, um, have a plugin in their stream where there's a little thing on the side of the window, and if you click on it, it'll pop up whatever deck list they're playing right in the window. Um, so you can pull deck lists that way. Also. Yeah, and I know Kenji Numatoname uh, has been using it. Yeah. And, and a lot of people. So it's a way that if you're watching a stream, you can just, and you like, 
like a deck, you can just go in and snag it real quick, and then right. like go fire it up and, and, and play if you have the cards. Yep, I actually did that last night. I was watching uh, Brad Nelson stream. He was streaming a version of the Sultai deck that um, won the uh, Star City Open on Sunday, um, and that's how I got the deck list. I went into a stream, I popped it open, stole it, booted it into Arena, and off I went. Yeah, I also used it's like. Like top eight deck lists, mm -hmm. it's just you can like put in a time frame, the format, and it just gives you like lists of events yep. or lists of decks, and you can just look at decks. And I've used that a lot for like legacy, yeah, because like Europe has a lot bigger legacy scene than we do, right? And so you can find legacy deck lists that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so how so. We just go in and like look for what looks interesting. We get a sense of what's being played. So Goldfish does uh, a metagame breakdown. Yeah, um, it's important to note that it's not always super accurate. Um, it doesn't necessarily correspond like one for one to what you would see as like a day two metagame breakdown, which is also something that we should probably talk about, right? Do you want to talk about the day two metagame breakdown? Like in particular, like this new one, or no, just, just in, in general, what it is. Okay, so most all big like weekend magic tournaments, and I think we kind of use like the the GPs that you may or may not see coverage for, yeah. and uh, the Star City, uh, uh, Star City opens as kind of like the um, the kind of gold standard for like top level magic competition in, well, yeah. in I mean, the they're, States. They're gonna be uh like what we're realistically striving for, right? Yes. Like getting on the Pro Tour would be nice, but realistically chances getting on the Pro Tour are probably slim to none. So Yeah. So these tournaments are all two day events. They're eight or nine rounds day one. I yep. think GPs are eight rounds now. And uh then there's a cut to a record. It's mm -hmm. uh, the record is for GPs is set. It's now six and two. Yep. If you're six and two, you make it. It's changed. It was seven and two. Then it was six and three, yeah. and now it's six and two. So it got a little bit. It got a little easier. Then it got a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, Star City events are the cut is always tied for sixty fourth. So that usually is three, two, and one. Sorry, six, two, and one. Yeah, six, two. Math is hard. Six, yeah. two, and one. Uh, but in bigger events, it'll be seven and two, or it has been six and three at smaller events. Yep. So, so when they when a lot of times what you see lists for are day two meta games because it's too hard to put eight hundred deck lists out. Or more. I mean, if you go to a decent-sized Grand Prix, there can be you know two thousand people playing in that event. There's no way, there's no way for them to enter two thousand deck lists in a timely manner where you're going to be able to read them, and there's no way you're going to be able to read two thousand deck lists in a timely manner. Yeah. So what they do is they wait till day two, and they gather up, base all of the. Archetypes. They don't tell you the deck list for everyone in day two, right. but they tell you there were this many people playing mono red. Yep. There were this many people playing mono yep. white. So they tell you just the the types of decks being played. Yep. Um. Uh, oh, there's a another there's another data place, and I forget the name of it, but you can find it. It's there are people now that are going that are pulling GPs. GP participants. Oh, I heard about this. And what they're doing is they're actually building matchup data. Yeah. So they go, they like after a after a GP, they'll say, "Hey, if you were at this GP, send us what deck you were playing." Yep. And then try to remember every matchup yep. that you had, and they're able to go through and based on you reporting your deck, and then remembering your matchups. They can go through, and I don't know how they verified. I don't know if they like go through and look at like the. Well, you can pull standings for a player. Yeah. Like if you go to. Um, oh yes, you can pull all the old pairings. Yeah, if you go to pairings.starcity.com or whatever. Or on um, Wizard, or I guess Channel Firebar does it. Yeah. But you can, and then they basically they build out that oh there were 
this many people playing this deck. Here's everything they played against mm -hmm. and how they did. Yep. And so you're able, and so there's this whole, they're doing it a lot for modern, mm -hmm. since modern, again, doesn't change a lot. Right. And they're building up like, oh, is it Phoenix? The tier one deck we forgot to mention. Is it Phoenix is, has a 60% win rate against Tron or whatever. And so you're able to see, like, and they're getting, it's not a huge sample, but they're starting to build a relative, because they've done two or three GPs now. Um, I think they might have done more than that. The last GP, see, I went to Atlanta, right, without you guys? I think so. Um, and I actually submitted data from that GP. Like, Mox Insights is what it is, I think. Uh, well, I found them through Reddit. Okay. There was a Reddit thread about yeah, it. Yeah, I think they're Mox Insights, because they, the... Uh, Channel Fireball, after they put their data up on Channel Fireball. They write an article. So okay. the last one was how the metagame changed from GP Portland, which was the end of December, to GP Oakland, yeah. which was the beginning of January. And it's just just piles of matchup tables. Yeah. So that's another thing. But that's really in the nitty-gritty. So... So why why do we use all this data? What are we what are we looking for? Um, well, you look like the ultimate goal is to find out what you're going to play in a given event, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, some of some of that's going to come down to uh, like personal taste and the kind of decks that mm -hmm. we like to play. Um, but you also want to make sure that you're going to be prepared for whatever you run into, whether it's going to be concessions in your main board, whether it's going to be tweaking your sideboard a little bit. Um, you just want to make sure that you have a game plan for most of what you're going to find in the tier one, right? Yeah. And oftentimes, if you've looked at what the what the the decks the, the popular decks are, right? In standard, if someone goes basic mountain pass, you can put them on two to three decks. Right. You know almost exactly what they're playing card for card. Uh, so that can give you an advantage because you're like, oh, I shouldn't play this card because I shouldn't play my Land or Elf because it might get shocked. Right. I can wait and I'll do this. I'll play this other card instead. Or I'll play my tap land on turn one because I don't have to worry. My Elf is just going to get shocked anyway. And I can't pay the two life to, right. to shock it in. So you'll you'll be able to make decisions like that based on oh I know what this I know what basic mountain means. Yep. So sometimes you'll play against someone like how did they like why didn't they do what I saw them do last when I watched yeah. them play last against their last opponent because they know what you're playing based right. on what you're doing. Um, it's important to note that it's not always just the first land drop though, right? It's other things because in this past standard uh, there were like two decks that right off the top of my head that played Basic Island. Yes. They could have either been Drake's or Mono Blue. Yes. Um, and both of them may or may not have had a turn one play. Yes. Right, like, but you... Isn't always the first land drop, but you... Yeah. Like, the smaller the format, yeah. the more that, like, the fir their first... Within, like, one to two turns, you should have a good sense of what your opponent's playing. Yeah. And, like, currently, I'm really guilty of, like, I don't know what anyone's doing. I tried to get someone on Arena, and I was like, oh, I think this is this deck. And then crazy stuff started happening, and I was like, oh, wait, none of these cards are in that deck. I don't know what's happening now. Do you know how many times yesterday I fired up a game on Arena and started playing and was thinking, man, I have no idea what deck this is, only for it to turn into some versions of a Nexus deck, like, ten minutes later? And me wish I had scooped ten minutes ago. <laughs> ten minutes later, you've taken four turns, and you're like, yeah. "What? What has happened here?" <laughs> um, so, so the reason all this data and all this aggregation is important is also like you get deck lists, yeah, and that, and that helps out a lot. Yep. Yeah. because it's really hard to build a deck from scratch. Yeah. So it's hard to tune a deck too, right? Yeah. Um, that's another another thing you can. Like gather from this uh, from the metagame breakdown and from all these different deck lists is you can kind of build well, there's a couple different ways of going about it but you can kind of build an aggregate deck right yeah so if you look at 14 different versions of mono red and say well this version with experimental frenzy 
is better against uh, like the mid-range decks, but this version with no experimental frenzy is better against the aggro decks. Um, you can kind of sometimes you can form like an aggregate deck list that kind of incorporates some things from each like subset of an archetype. So, uh, uh, goldfish will have a lot of times a like a percentage of decks that play a certain number of cards. Yeah. Uh, the the top eight deck list the uh, that's really good. You can click on multiple decks that are the of the same uh, archetype, mm -hmm. and it will bring up all the cards in all of the decks, and then the the numbers yep. that are played in average. And yep. then you can scroll through and look at the individual decks and see like, mm -hmm. oh, when someone played two ex played four experimental frenzies, they didn't play uh, Flame of Kelp. And so you can see what cards get swapped when these like changes are made. Yep. I've, I've on more than one occasion built a legacy deck that or a legacy deck sideboard that was just the aggregate of mm -hmm. like, well, they played two and a half of these. I want two or do I want three? Right. And oh, I have also done the exact same thing. Right. And so you kind of like you can tweak it a little bit, but you have a sense of kind of what everyone's playing, what the cards are that are like yep. being being looked at. So we can, you know be old-timey and read, mm -hmm. right? Or we can live in the future and watch people, yeah. right? And just watch videos, yeah. right? And so a big thing, like, uh, like from this weekend is coverage, yeah, right? Very important for week one, standard at least. So uh, if you're not doing so already, uh, you should, you know, every Saturday, Star City has, almost every Saturday, Star yep. City has an event, yep. and it's always on Twitch. Yep. Uh, we can't say the same thing about GP coverage. Yeah, especially after the uh, horror show that I guess this last one was. Yeah. But, so <clears throat> you can watch the, if you watch coverage, you're going to see different decks you haven't seen before. You're going to watch pros play them usually pretty well. Usually. Uh, so you can, um, so watching coverage gives you one lets you see what decks are being played, yep. and lets you see how they work. Because yeah. sometimes looking at a deck list, and then you don't understand how the deck wins. Especially when you get into um, like some of the grindier mid range stuff or some of the control games. Mm -hmm. um, like the machine has so many moving parts, it's hard to get a grasp for exactly how it operates unless you see it being played. Um, it looks different on the paper than it does being. Yeah, so, and so like that that's good, and uh, you'll 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 kind of get like like because what's being seen on coverage there is I don't know were there six to ten thousand people watching the open. Um, I uh, didn't actually look at the numbers. It was, it was a lot. So all these people are watching and going like, oh, this deck looks good. I want to play it, and you will as decks get covered. Like that actually will in real time change what's being played on Arena and what's being played on Magic Online because people will like run to go like oh I want to try this deck yeah and they'll run out and they'll build the deck yeah it and was crazy yesterday I signed on Arena in the morning and uh, was getting ready to I have a big event coming up this weekend uh, so I was just trying to play a whole bunch of different standard decks to kind of get a feel for what was powerful going into the standard so I fired up. Twitch stream of uh, it was SCG Indie, and I fired up Arena, and like real time, you could watch the meta of Arena change based on what was being covered. It was crazy. So they put they put some deck on, and people go like, "Oh, that looks like fun." Yeah. And they they have if they have the cards, they build it and they and they try it themselves. Yep. I'm guilty of this as well. Yep. I think we all are, <laughs> right? But it gives you it gives you a chance to. To, to watch people be proficient and just, like, learn with everyone else, mm -hmm. right? And now we can't always just spend an entire weekend watching coverage. Right. Um, also, while we're on the topic of coverage, um, another thing that both Star City and Wizards or Channel Fireball does for the GPs is um, they do deck techs. Yes. So if there's... Like a new deck pops up for this uh, this one event and nobody knows a whole lot about it. Or even if it's 
you know, a really popular deck for that weekend, but it's been around for a while, a lot of times they'll grab a player in between rounds and say, tell us about the deck. And they'll show you a deck list, they'll walk you through it, tell you why they chose the cards they chose, they'll walk you through the sideboard a little bit. So Star City on their, when you go look at, on their page and you go to like events on their page, they have the, they have, when, when it's the tournament that's, that just happened, like in a day or two, they have uh, just a link to the, on, on the tournament coverage page, to the deck text. They did usually two or three a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can actually go back through their archives and look up their, and have, they have the links to the deck text. So you yeah. could go back, and if there was a modern deck from six months ago, yeah. they, they, someone did a deck text, you can find that, yeah. and you can, you can watch that. Those vary in quality, though. Depending yeah, on greatly. Depending on who's talking about it, how articulate that person is, yeah. how well versed they are in the deck. Yep. Right. So. Also, just because somebody did a deck tech with the deck doesn't mean the deck's good either. Yes. Uh, Todd. Uh, Todd Anderson had had team regular reclamation yeah. and got smushed. Now, now this is something like we are also as as magic people very harsh and very focused on results just because like a deck you play a deck and it goes two five doesn't mean the deck's bad right maybe you didn't play it optimally maybe you played it great but you ran against five decks your deck just can't beat yeah right so if you have a bad fnm there's no reason to like be like well i'm never playing this deck again uh Right now, if you're like, "Wow, this deck was just bad. It just didn't do anything," but you you have to get to the point where you can just you can discern the difference between I got unlucky and the deck is bad. And the deck is bad, right? If you go o four because you never hit your fourth land drop, and you're playing twenty four, twenty five lands like a sane person. Yeah, you're on the bad side of variance. You're not right. Don't go throw your deck across the parking lot, which yeah. there have been stories of. Yes. Exactly. I have heard vendors talking about, I've heard players talk about, they've played a tournament, mm-hmm. they've done poorly in the tournament, and they just walked up and sold an entire modern deck yep. that they like spent years putting together. They're just like, nope, I, yeah, it's just not, just not, <laughs> in, I just get rid of it. Yep. So, like, you don't, don't be rash. You have to look yep. at things objectively and go like, oh... Maybe this didn't, maybe this just wasn't my night or wasn't my tournament. This kind of goes back a little bit into what we were talking about earlier, also, um, especially at the FNM level. Um, there are players that will be on a new deck every week because they're not winning. And that's not always right. Um, sometimes you need, I mean, a lot of times, you need reps with a deck in order to be proficient with. Um, if you're bouncing around deck to deck every week because you're not doing well, well, how much of that is because you're making poor deck decisions and how much of that's because you're not proficient with the deck? Yeah. So it's it's important to figure out, like, kind of, like, make that, make that distinction. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice a lot of, like, the more higher-level people will a lot of times play a very similar deck over and over and over again. Yep but make changes in response to the decks that are being played. Yep. So, um, so when, when you talk about this kind of goes to deck choice, mm-hmm. you, al- you also have to like decide what your goals are for that event. Right? So if you're going to Standard Showdown mm-hmm. and you came up with some like brew and you think it'll be fun to play, you're going to have fun. Right. Right? And sometimes you just have to be like, you know what? If I go like one and three, I'm going to be okay with that. As long as you had fun doing it. Yes. Yeah. Right? Your deck can go off and do something cool, and you're like, all right, I want my deck to go off and do something cool against someone. Yep. Right? But then you can't be mad the times that your deck does like nothing because it's a bunch of ham sandwiches. Right. And every so often <laughs> they like come together. Yeah. The ham sandwiches come together and make a delicious meal, mm-hmm. but the rest of the time they're just horrible, horrible ham well, sandwiches. Well, I mean, there's some players that strive for that, too. I mean, there's been 
a handful of players at the, the store that we play at that play nothing but awful meme decks, right? Um, I am thinking of one player vividly who brought dubious challenge to FNM because uh. the card was unplayable and he just wanted to build a deck around the unplayable card. Brad Nelson once lost a modern game, a modern match, on camera to a human who brought dubious challenge <laughs> to an open. Yeah. Uh, so, right, so if you're, if you're going to have fun and try to do something yeah. cool, great. Yeah. Like, that, that's, what, that's what you're doing. Yeah. Right? If you're, like, if you're trying, if you want to try something out, you're like, you know what, I don't know if this deck's good but i made some changes and i think it's better like sometimes you're just going to like experiment yep. and like work on you know so that in, on in week 10 of standard you've tuned your deck yep. and it works you know what all the lines are right and then there's right you know like i want to win i want to find the best possible deck yep. i'm going to like practice with it for a while i'm going to show up in this tournament because i need to win this tournament yep right so you've got to like know what your goals are yep I think James and I sit more on the I want to win. Every so often yeah. I'll show up with the like, this this will do something cool. On my way to work today, I came up with something cool. <laughs> so I've got to maybe put that together on Arena and like get it out of my system. Yeah, usually I just want to win. Yeah. More often than not, I just want to win. So, um, so let's, we're going to, we'll give you a little bit of a, we talked about like, you know, the day two metagame and whatnot. So what was the day two metagame? We just had a big, SCG event. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna run down just a few things to give you a sense of kind of like what people were were playing. Yep. So the first thing is Saltai Midrange. So again, for the uninitiated, Saltai is uh, also known as the artist formerly known as Bug. Right. It's black, blue, and green. Right. So this deck was the old Golgari. Well. Kind of. See, this is another thing you have to be careful with with these metagame breakdowns, is because just somebody called it Sultai Midrange doesn't mean it's the same as the guy next to you playing Sultai Midrange, because I saw a wide variation of uh, what yeah. they're considering Sultai Midrange. Um, what I think did the best and is probably the most popular right now, and probably the most popular going into this weekend is basically the old Golgari deck, the Explorer Golgari deck, with Krasis and some blue sideboard cards. Yeah, and I think they cut uh, the big uh, Death Dinosaur, uh, Carnage Tyrant, a lot of times to make room for Krasis. Uh, Doom Whisperer. Doom Whisperer, Doom Whisperer and okay. Planeswalkers were cut for Krasis. Um, most lists I saw still had two Carnage Tyrants. Okay. Um, but Sultai Midrange also encompasses um, a new variant of the deck that is the uh, Growth Chamber Guardian Incubation Druid version where they kind of forego the Explorer creatures mm -hmm. and play those guys to make some big giant crises. Um, and also Sultai Midrange encompasses some of the, um, the Demir decks that are just kind of splashing green for crisis. Um, I did see a couple that were like Chupacabra, um, Hostage Taker style decks um, mm -hmm. that ran Krasis as a win con. So you, you do have like a lot of different flavors. Yep. Right. Yep. And then there was, so that was, there were 12 people on that, and then yep. there were nine people out of, I think, 68 yeah, on, on Mono Red. Mm -hmm. So if you've played Arena, it's that deck. Yeah. Some version of it yep. that. You know, that makes it so you can't play your fun deck because you're dead on turn four. Yeah. Uh, and then there were, they have a couple here. They have a Salt High Climb that was five and a Bant Climb that was three. And this is where, like, the climb part of it is probably the most important part. Right. And that's Hadana's Climb from Ixalan. Yeah, it's a colorless, a green, and a blue for an enchant legendary enchantment that says when you go to your attack step, you get... Uh, plus one, plus one counter on one of your creatures. If that creature has three or more counters on it, you then transform Hadana's Climb to the backside, where it is a legendary land that taps for one mana of any color. One mana of any color. And then you can pay a colorless, a green, and a blue, uh, and tap it to give a creature 
plus X plus X till end of turn. And flying. And flying, where uh, X is its power, so it doubles its power. So so there's the, the Saltai deck, which has some black cards in it, <laughs> right? And then the Bant deck, and Bant is uh, green, white, and blue. Yep. Where they swap out some of the black cards for some white cards, yep. but, like, the core of the deck is to have creatures with, that benefit from getting counters. Yep. And then trying to flip Hadana's Climb probably as fast as you can so you yep. can, like, just mush people. So, like, Growth Chamber Guardian plus Hadana's Climb is, like, make a giant guy and... Go get a friend. Go get a friend and then yep. hit them real hard. Yep. So, so there were those. There were some... There was uh, five people that hate themselves and others <laughs> uh, playing Bant Nexus. Yep. So Nexus being a Nexus of Fate. Yep. So another deck that you've probably played on Arena. Yeah. So I think it's one thing to like just be looking at a screen and take all the turns. Yeah. Right? But like having to sit across from someone yeah. and just be like, would you like a snack? And then uh like give them a pack of fruit snacks and then just go about your business for ten minutes. It yep. just seems like like takes a special kind of degenerate to just be like, I'm going to ignore you now. Yeah. There is a guy who plays an all-foil taking turns deck in modern. Mm -hmm. It is, if you ever see him on coverage, it is quadruple-sleeved. Oh, the deck's beautiful. Logan has played against him. I've it, He top-aided GP Vegas? I think so. I think it was Vegas. Right? And he has, like, he has, like, custom tokens that he's made to, like, tell you, basically, that you're, like, f 6 and you can't do anything. Yeah. And he's like, oh, there are like, you know, there are six turns in the queue right now. And he just like jams and just <laughs> like, uh, so I think the hard part, like against playing is Bant Nexus. I think I said this in our chat is like, it's a, it's a, Cameron described it as a prison deck, yeah. but it's a prison deck with a fail rate. Right. Right. They don't just lock you out of the game. Right. Like there's a chance that like, they just. Give you the turn back. Yeah, they don't find a nexus. Great. And so you're like, well, I can't quit right. because, like, I need, like, one more attack step. Yeah. That's usually what it is, too. Like, nine times out of ten, they're dead the next turn. And they just go for it. Yeah. And they draw enough cards, they fog you or right. something, and you're just like, ah. Uh, and then you just got to, like, watch them go. Right? And then there were some Esper decks. So Esper is what? Uh, Esper is white, blue, and black. White, blue, and black. Um, looks like we had two different flavors. Uh, some people opted for a control build, which is kind of interesting for week one standard. Um, and some other people opted for a more mid-range build. So so what's broad, broad strokes here? So like we, we talked about like mono red aggro, mm -hmm. and then we had like, we talked about control and yep. mid-range. Yep. So in broad strokes, like, Aggro is usually a bunch of little creatures. Maybe the most expensive card in the deck costs four mana. Well, I like to... I don't always break it down that way. Okay. Um, what I like to do when I'm looking at aggro versus mid-range versus control is um, like how many turns the deck wants to play. So if you shuffle up you know, a mono-red aggro deck, um, you're wanting to play like five turns, like four or five turns of magic. And then be done. Mm -hmm. um, if you're sleeving up a mid-range deck, you're maybe into like the 12-ish number of turns. Um, if you're playing a control deck, it's anything beyond that. So you get that by the aggro decks usually have cheap creatures, right. cheap removal to get things out of the way of their creatures, yep. and they get you dead. Yep. And then mid-range has bigger creatures. Yep. And they usually have good general like uh, general removal. They're able to remove their removal can kill a lot of different things. Yep. So like Veraska's content. Right. Right. You answers a lot. Kills a lot of things, and costs four mana, so it wouldn't be in an aggro deck because the aggro deck doesn't want to spend four mana to kill something. It wants to spend right. like two mana to kill you. To kill you. Right. And then the control decks will play almost. But okay, the mid-range deck will play creature threats yes. and planeswalkers. Yeah. Right? And then so they play these big powerful creatures. Generating and they, value. And then they take over the game. Control yeah. decks play 
a lot of removal. Yep. And a lot of permission. So counter spells. Yep. And card then draw. card draw. And then they a lot of people that play control want to play as few win conditions as possible because yep. they get in the way of you controlling the game. Right. So control players will play a bunch of removal and maybe only have two to six ways to win the game in their deck. If they have that many. And so for the last almost two years, Teferi was yep. a way to take over the game and get cards. And it was your win count. And it was the way to win. So the only way a lot of decks had to win was that. Yep. Um, so, and they're oftentimes they don't have creatures in them at all. Because part of what they want to do is, if you have a bunch of removal, you just don't have anywhere to use your removal. Yeah, it makes cards in your opponent's hands dead. If you're playing against a bunch of mid-range components, and they have, you know, Vraska's Contempts and Cast Downs in their hands, and you're not playing any creatures, then they just have dead cards in their hand, and you don't need as many answers because they have less things that matter. Yes. So, all right, so we, we've talked about kind of what kind of decks there are. We've mm-hmm. talked about, like, where all these decks are kind of aggregated. Mm-hmm. So a term that gets thrown around a lot is net decking. Yeah. So what is net decking? Um, net decking basically is what we just told you all about. It's finding a deck list on the Internet and playing it. So is net decking inherently bad? It is not, and I have a great story I hope we have some time for. We have some time. So when I got back into Magic, um, back in, I think I came back to the game around Born of the Gods, so like 2014-ish. Okay. Um, I did not want a net deck. I was the same way. I came I, back right around the same time, 2014. Yep. And I love, like my favorite part of when I played Magic as a kid was brewing and building decks and doing something with the cards I had. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to be competitive. I wanted to be good. I wanted to prove myself to my peers at the FNM. So I remember vividly, um, right around Origins, probably going into BFZ, um, I was on the, really the Ancestors deck that ultimately became most powerful, uh, Mm -hmm. number one deck to beat during that standard. I had been working on that deck the entire year before that. I went through probably six different iterations of that deck. It started as an elf deck. It kind of evolved into a Liliana, um, the Heretical Healer deck. Um, by the time Rally the Ancestors, the final four-color list that you know was the menace of that standard, got popular not a week before that had I arrived on that list, independently from anything on the internet. What had taken me an entire year to work my way through the machine of, you know, everybody playing online, everybody playing in these big events and sharing information, had literally done in a week. They went from, oh, this looks good, and then they figured it out. Yeah, and it was the best deck. So... So net decking will save you a lot of time. Yeah, like that is when I started net decking. It was like, the very next standard. I said I wasted all of this time working on this deck to get it to a point where everybody else got it to in a week. So, like net decking is not bad. It's no. a way to save time. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people look down on it. Oh, you should come up with your own. And it's. Like, you want to play the best deck you can. Yeah. Right? You want to, like... Like, if you could eliminate your deck as a reason you're going to lose... Right. Right? Then you should... You should. Absolutely. Right? Like, if it just... Like, if you're playing a really, really bad deck, it doesn't matter oftentimes how good of a player you are. The deck just can't win. Right. Right? So... So, to give yourself the best chance... As a casual tryhard, you need to like go find find someone who spent eighteen hours a day for a week figuring out a deck. That's if it's just one person. I mean, we talk about uh, being on the right and wrong side of variance, right? Mm-hmm. 
in order to draw meaningful conclusions from a data set, you need an absurdly large amount of data. Yeah, not enough that one person, or even like one small team of like six people. Right. Right there, if you watch the Pro Tour, there, there'll be teams that show up with a deck that they think is good. Yeah. And it's embarrassingly bad. Yeah, what was it? Uh, Blue-green Karn. Blue-green Karn, yeah. So Team Channel Fireball, like... LSV, like, Hall of Famer. One of the best teams at the Pro Tour came up with a Matinass special. Yeah. Uh, This Blue-green Karn deck, they almost all decided to play it. Yep. And they showed up, and they just got destroyed. And that was 10 people for 10 or more people for two weeks yep. just playing magic. And right. they thought this was the best deck. Yep. And they were wrong. Yes. Right? So, like, sometimes your brew doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. But, like, so they put in all this time, you might as well reap the rewards. Yeah, there's no reason not to. Right? So now, if you, like, if you think about your store meta, Mm-hmm. Right? If you're like, oh, I'm going to play, uh, I want to play this Esper deck, this white, black, blue deck, but I know that Logan always plays dinosaurs. Yeah. And I can't beat a Carnage Tyrant. Right. So I'm going to, in my sideboard, these, these net decks don't have consume, the, the split card that makes your opponent sacrifice their biggest creature. Yep. Right, so you're like, I'm gonna play some consumes. That way, you know you have an answer to Logan's Carnage Tyrant. Right, sorry, Logan, dinosaurs forever. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, right, but you. So those are things that you can do to tune your deck mm-hmm. for your expected meta. What you think you're gonna play against. Well, this is an important point too because we've talked about uh, the meta game for big events and how the meta game as a whole takes shape. And kind of how the metagame's a little bit different in Arena. But we haven't really told you about your FNM. Now, coming up with a meta for your FNM is pretty easy, right? Like, all you gotta do is say, Hey, Brian, what are you playing tonight? Yeah. <clears throat> I might tell you. Well. Yeah. But that, and then, like, you know what people like to play. Right. Right? You know that that Cameron's gonna play some... Red, red monster. Yeah. Some red monsters. Yep. Right? Uh, you know that James is going to play green, black, something. Most likely. Right? So you can, and you know, not just our store, if you're at some other store, hopefully have people that aren't just, aren't at, our, <laughs> just at our store listening. Yeah. Right? You know, like, there are 15 people that show up for F&M. Yep. After, like, the first two or three weeks of Standard, you can probably come up with what... Most of them are going to be playing. Eight, nine, ten of them are going to play. Yeah. So if you're like, well, I know that there are going to be seven people playing Carnage Tyrant. Yep. I have to have a way to answer a Carnage Tyrant. Yep. Right? Now, if you go to a bigger tournament, you might want to make sure that, you know, if a deck is 15% of the metagame and you play eight rounds, you're going to play it statistically once. Right? Now... That's once across everyone playing, right? right? So statistically, it should be once. You might play that matchup six times out of eight rounds and hate yourself for not uh, putting in your your consumes to beat your dinosaurs. Yeah. But also, you might play it zero times and be really happy that you had your other... Cyborg cards. Yeah, whatever you're playing over it. Right. So you still, when you net deck, you still have room to make the deck your own. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even even deck lists that have been tuned and polished for years have flex slots. Yeah, so a flex slot is just a card that you can change. Yeah. Um, like going back to our example of modern deck lists, uh, be, like we were saying, modern's a lot more stable than standard is, especially right now. Um, I know in Jund, which was my favorite deck in modern for a long time, the four-drop slot was kind of hotly contested and would vary week to week to week. Um, there was like there was room there for you to 
make the deck your own and kind of tweak it. Some people played Hazaret, some people played Kalidus, uh, some people played Planeswalkers, um, but there was room in that slot for you to make it your own. So, so don't be afraid to like get a deck that is good. Yep. And maybe make some changes to it to yep. make it yours. Yep. Uh, you know, if someone does have a deck from an open or from so don't give them grief. Right. Right. They may have they may have had the cards, but they didn't have a hundred hours to tweak something. Yep, that's perfectly. So fine. let them let them play their deck. Let them have fun. Yep. Right. So, is there anything else you want to talk about about a new standard? Um, and like learning about where to get decks from and stuff. We covered most of it. I think so. Yeah. So, thanks for uh, checking us out. Yep. Um, again, find us on Twitter at Casual Tripod, uh, which again just sounds <laughs> dirtier every time I say it. No, I think it's great, man. I, I didn't say anything the first time you told me what it was on purpose because I think it's great. <laughs> Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. And then again, you can email us uh, at uh, Casual Tryhard uh, MTG at gmail.com. Yep. So again, uh, if, you, if there's anything you want us to uh, do, uh, I set a timer and now it's loud. Uh, <laughs> um, if you have any suggestions for uh, tournament idea uh, for show ideas yep. or a topic you want us to cover or for things that you think we could be doing better whether it's explaining topics or just using this microphone in general uh let let us know so uh thanks and uh we'll see you later on yep we'll catch you at fnm bye